Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Today joining me is Rachel Moore, LMFT. That's right. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist uh, with an undergraduate degree in creative writing. She was a news copy editor for 14 years, mostly at the San Diego Union Tribune. In 2010, she switched careers and went back to school to get her master's degree in marriage and family therapy. She's trained in EMDR and her practice focuses mostly on helping creative people, writers, artists, musicians. Uh, She regularly facilitates a 12-week group on the book, The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. Welcome, Rachel Moore. Thank you so much. By the way, I have a funny story about LMFT. Do you want to hear it? I do. I want to hear anything. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So I got this shirt online and it's super cute because on the front it says, it's a t-shirt and it says A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, F, T, right? I'm like, that's adorable. That's adorable. I love the shirt. It's adorable. Well, there's something on the back (laughs) and I didn't know about this. On the back of the shirt, it says something to the effect of, I help couples talk to me. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, no, because number one, not only do I, I don't specialize in working with couples, I work with individuals mostly. The other thing is like when I'm out in the world, like wearing my shirts and doing my thing, like I I'm sorry, but I'm off duty, right? I don't necessarily want strangers coming up to me and asking how to help with their relationships. So I only, I only wear that shirt at home. But, but I, I would love to know how many people would come up to you. Have you worn it? <laughs> right. That would be so interesting. You're right. That's a good, that would be a good experiment. Maybe I should take a little performance art on that. Yeah, because like when I go hiking, sometimes I'll, I'll see, you know, a personal trainer with a T-shirt and on the back, it right. says trainer on the back. Right. And because yeah. you know, they're, they're training somebody. But like if you were yeah. just like in Whole Foods or, <laughs> you know, at the farmer's market <laughs> yeah. at a football game, totally. people be like, hey, uh, you know, in between oh. innings, can you help me and my wife? I, I would love now it makes me want to get a shirt that says like, yeah therapist coach whatever you know just something on to see what the people would say something. yeah i think i think you should i think you should try it out you can right. take that idea <laughs> so you specialize in emdr first of all uh yes. the, the artist way i'm, I'm backtracking yes. a little bit um okay. i i do morning pages i've started oh, doing cool. morning pages every day I, I i've been intermittent with it but uh definitely valuable in that it's not necessarily what I write. It's mm-hmm. the clarity that I get from writing. Mm-hmm. If that mm-hmm. makes sense. So what I write is gibberish, right? Uh, right. Sometimes it's right. the same word over and over again. I jump, I'm jumping from topic to topic. There's, there's no grammatical. Uh, it's, it's, it's just it's, it's gibberish. However, when I take a break then from the writing and, and walk around and, and do other things and mm-hmm. kind of unplug from it, I notice mm-hmm. that my thoughts are, are clearer, more objective. Uh, I get insights into things. But it's, it's almost like the, the morning page is like a way of dumping out, the, taking out the trash. Exactly. Can you talk to us about the morning pages a little bit? And Sure. Because so many people journal and struggle sure. with that. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's exactly it, you know, at least from the perspective of the book, The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. She talked about how, yeah, the morning pages are a place to write that gibberish, to not worry about grammar and spelling and even handwriting. I can hardly read half of mine. And um, to get all of that stuff in your brain out kind of before you start your day. So it doesn't, I think so, it just unclogs, right? And it doesn't interfere. That's the first thing. And then like you're saying, that's great that you also find yourself getting insights from that they, the the other thing i would say is i like how she says you know sometimes when people are feeling cranky they don't want to write their morning pages when in actuality they feel cranky because they haven't written their morning pages right so i think that yeah it's just a great way of kind of having some time with yourself almost like a little meditation i think yeah that's cool that you do that so how did you go from creative writer and and mm-hmm. and editor 
to a licensed marriage and family therapist, what was that aha moment for you? Ah, well, a couple of things. Um, And by the way, to me, being a journalist and being a therapist, like pretty much feel like the same thing. Um, As far as my temperament goes, it's like, I love, I love talking to people individually. I love learning about people. I love, love learning about things. I love getting the story right. And, and kind of compiling it and putting it together and making sense of it. Like to me, that's writing and that's therapy, same, same things. Um, So what happened for me is I think that when I first started out, I remember when I had my very first therapist when I was in my early 20s, him looking at me one day, and I did write to him after I became a therapist, him looking at me one day and saying, how did you not get into this field? Like, (laughs) he's like, he saw some natural gifts there, which was nice, but I I was an editor for a long time until um, the newspaper industry was tanking as it has, and it was being decimated. And So it wasn't the job I was doing at the time in 2010 wasn't really the job that I had started doing, if that makes sense. And then um, also, I kind of felt like I had done what I wanted to do in newspapers. You know, Um, the biggest catalyst was that I had gotten married about a year before and I worked swing shift. So I worked uh, weekends, holidays, usually like 3 p.m. to midnight. Um, So in a way, I kind of had a long distance relationship with my husband because, you know, I'd come home from work at midnight, he'd be asleep and he'd leave in the morning, I'd still be sleeping. So we wouldn't see each other for days on end. And and he said, you know, I thought it would be okay, but it's not okay. And I totally understood that. Um, so yeah, those were kind of all the factors, but going into my career as a human being or whatever, um, as a working person, I kind of could have gone either direction, I think, either through, you know, being a journalist or being a therapist. I am glad I waited to be a therapist because I got a lot of life experience, which for me in particular, other people may be different. For me in particular, was very important uh, basis. You know, what I love that you highlighted was that you were able to break down the parts of being a journalist and Mm -hmm. realizing that you can transfer that over to being a therapist right because you talked about how you love learning about people and uh and writing and and um and you know just that that natural kind of curiosity and how you could Mm -hmm. exemplify those same tenets in therapy and i think it's beautiful to highlight because a lot of people uh are either losing their jobs or they're transitioning from one job Mm -hmm. to the next and that job becomes their identity, right? Like if you right. had just identified as being a journalist, it would have been hard for you to make that transition. Is that something that you have always been able to do? Is that something that you learned to do? Uh, it, it was hard. <laughs> I will say, yeah, it was, I, I still consider myself a journalist in many ways. That is very much a like kind of a fellowship, I think, in the same way. And I have always kind of been that person that, you know, my dad would say to me, for example, you know, he's like, well, well sometimes people have a job uh, so they can do their life outside of their job. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> my, my job is me. So I got to say that I, I do identify with the work that I do. And that's that's OK. It, it uh uh, interestingly, it has caused me to do work that is not so great paying. I mean, especially as a journalist, right? You don't get, get paid a lot of money. But for me, I need my work to be fun and I need to be meaningful. So it, it, it wasn't necessarily an easy transition. In fact, it was, it was pretty difficult. Um, and yet it's just like that. I don't know if everybody feels this way, but that moment when I knew it was time. It was just time to evolve, you know, and then growing can be painful. You said it was is difficult. What was the difficult part about the the transition for you? Was it more mental? Was yeah. it just more practical? Is it financial? Emotional, uh, definitely emotional. Because when you, especially when you work those weird hours, you get really close to your coworkers. You become kind of like a family. And at every place I worked, gosh, I'm even feeling emotional talking about it right now. At every place I worked, my coworkers felt like my family. Um, and so whenever you would leave, uh, it would be like saying goodbye to your family. Um, and all of the, to be honest, like even all of the sort of guilt feelings and, you know, and, 
add uh, stuff that goes along with that. So yeah, it's really, it's a different kind of world, I think, than most other jobs, I guess. Yeah, because you spend all this time with other people and you have these inside mm-hmm. jokes and you have a routine yep. and and rituals and, you know, and, and you know what your weekend is going to look like, you know, so <laughs> to speak, and, and holidays and mm-hmm. birthdays. And then did you uh, change locations also to become a therapist or were you able to stay in the same uh, no. area? I was able to, I was able to stay. So, so that was good. And I do still have some friends from the San Diego paper. I have friends from when I worked up in LA, I have friends from when I worked up in Idaho where I grew up. So like, yeah, it's, it, we, we kind of, like I said, it, it definitely feels like a fellowship and it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Can you tell me more about the guilt? Because that, that's something that I hadn't really thought about in terms of yeah. going. Did you feel like you were abandoning them or what was, well, where was the big guilt come from? Kind of. I remember when I when I moved from the L.A. area, Los Angeles area to San Diego, I remember literally, you know, saying goodbye to everybody and telling them like, yeah, you know, I want you to know you all you're my family. Like, I really feel that way. And one of my friends was co-workers was like, oh, so you're abandoning your family. You know? And I know she was joking, but like, yeah, that's like it's like. It's almost like we know that we're in a low paying job. We know we're getting treated poorly, but we're all in it together. You know, maybe it's sort of like, I don't, I don't know because I don't know anything about the military, but maybe it's sort of like that feeling of like the band of brothers and sisters, you know, it's like, yeah, why are you, why are you leaving us? Like, uh, you know, we, uh, we're in this together in the trenches together. Um, and, uh, I, it's so funny just talking about it. Cause it's not like, a huge deal. But again, it's probably different than most normal jobs. I feel like, you know, in my life, I have had a nine to five job for like a total of a year. (laughs) So (laughs) for me, like, it's so interesting to talk about career stuff, but like for me, um, yeah, it's just a different, different way of being, I guess, than if, I guess if you were in an office job and you didn't really talk to people and then you just kind of leave and nobody cared. I don't know. It, 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 it's so funny because I don't even like it when uh, my girlfriend leaves the house before I do. Oh, I yeah. I feel abandoned. She's like, I'm leaving. And I'm like, what? What did I do? She's like, what? no, I'm going to the store. I'm like, oh, okay. I was like, don't say it like that. Just say I'm going to the store. Don't say I'm leaving. I'm Jesus, give me a heart attack. You know, my dad wasn't around. What are you doing? Hmm. I was just thinking about attachment when you were saying that. Yeah, yeah. I was just... Go ahead. Yeah. No, go ahead. What were you thinking? Well, because I was just I was just at home. So right before uh, right before our interview today, um, I finished with my morning clients and then I worked out in my office and then I had half an hour. So and I live very close to my office. So I walked home and uh, my husband's still working from home because of the pandemic and I and I came in and I was like hey how's it going I was like I don't have a lot of time and I jumped in the shower and then I came out and he was just staring at me and I'm like are are you okay (laughs) and he was like well when you said you didn't have a lot of time I thought maybe you hate me (laughs) and I was like oh hon it's it is it's you know sometimes those attachments I'm so glad he told me by the way you know, because we could talk about it. And I know that's a part of him. It's not, you know, obviously he knows I don't hate him, but there's this part of him, these younger parts of us, right. That feel sad when people leave or when people say they don't have time for us or, you know, um, yeah, that stuff's still real. And I will say, as you probably know, like those things, those parts of us in ourselves have no concept of time. So like that part of, I'll use myself, uh, you know, that part of me that's like five years old and had a certain experience, it doesn't matter that it's been more than 40 years since that happened. In my brain, it can feel like it happened. I mean, that's essentially that's trauma. And that's kind of what I do in my work is, is deal with those types of things. Wow. All right. I definitely want to dive into that part, but we got to peel yeah. back the layer on <laughs> the, uh, the evolution of your husband to say, <laughs> <laughs> to say it out loud. I thought yeah, that you right? hate me because that's yeah. something I would have just swallowed, let the cancer oh, develop, develop the oh. brain tumor and just died. And it'd be yeah. like, oh, he had a good run. But, you know, not knowing it all stemmed from me just swallowing an emotion mm-hmm. of you coming home, mm-hmm. taking a shower and getting ready to leave. Mm-hmm. Have, mm-hmm. Is he a therapist also or have you guys <laughs> had to work up to that He's- level of vulnerability? 
<laughs> he's been married for 12 years to a therapist. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, he's, he's caught on to some things. No, he's a, he works in IT. Uh, he's a computer dude and he has done a lot of work. Yes. And I'm so happy, you know, that he has. So yeah, he's worked up to that. We both have together. We've done together. We've done, you know, a couple therapy. Are you familiar with um, EFT emotionally focused therapy for couples? Oh yeah. Yeah, but for the listeners, talking about attachment. Yeah, uh, can you can you illuminate that just a little bit for the listeners? EFT. Sure, not an expert, only been a client, so you know I don't know so much of the inside of it. But the the idea is that you know there's the way I understand it, there's all these things that happen on the surface, right? Like my husband could have chosen lots of different ways to respond, like you said. And by the way, I know it was maybe kind of a joke when you said, "Oh, I just swallow it and let the cancer develop." Well, we don't know exactly, but there's theories that people do get sick as you probably know from withholding their emotions and things um he could have like snapped at me for some reason that didn't make any sense right and so there's these things that happen on the surface when we're not honest with how we feel emotionally um and sometimes a lot of therapy deals with just those surface things well eft emotionally focused therapy really wants to get down to okay what is the emotion you're feeling right now are you feeling scared are you feeling angry uh, are you feeling sad are you feeling desire right it could be a positive emotion too that sometimes comes out maybe as guilt or shame so i really really like it for that like like it really goes straight into What's actually going on here? That's exciting for me as a therapist and a person. I try to bring that to my work too. It's like, okay, here's all the stuff that's happening. I don't know how to explain it better than just happening on the surface. Let's look underneath that, right? Let's again, like you said, to use your phrase from earlier, let's peel back those layers and really get to the heart of what's happening. Because I think when we do that, then we can make change. Then we can heal, right? Because we could sit and talk about, oh, you know, so-and-so, we had this argument about this and that. The other thing, we can talk about that all day and nothing ever shifts, right? Oh, yeah. I thought you were saying it rhetorically. Mm-hmm. I thought you were going to, like, write and then go into a thing. Then I was like, oh, that was <laughs> I a, that was a half so second too, too long. <laughs> I thought so, too, for a moment. I'm like, do I have more to say? And I'm like, no, I don't think I do. I think that's it. <laughs> like, why would we do that, right? Why would we sit and talk yeah, about this? Yeah, actually, I thought the silence was, you know, that you hating me. I was like, oh, my gosh, she hates the podcast, <laughs> oh hates gosh. this time, and this is over. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> So, so please talk to us about, you know, you said when we're nine years old, that nine year old part of us Mm. has no concept of time. And, and that's part of the the work Mm. you do with, with EMDR. Can you talk to us about that? And, and, and the effect, first of all, what EMDR is and then how it's used. Yes, for sure. So, okay. EMDR stands for, (laughs) I wish we had better terms for all these things that actually made more sense. But anyway, it stands for eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. So literally eye movements. Do we use eye movements? Yes. Or any other type of what we call bilateral stimulation could be tapping left and right, could be um, sounds going left and right, just, you know, sparking the left and the right side of the brain back and forth. Eye movement, desensitization. That means bringing down the distress of a memory. So yeah, if you're a kid and you have a traumatic memory, we just want to bring down the extra distress. You won't, you won't forget the memory. You will uh, kind of look at it like anybody would look at it. Maybe you feel sad. Maybe you wish it hadn't happened, but it doesn't spark, you know, it doesn't trigger you in the present as if it's happening right now. Uh, and then the reprocessing part is like, there are good things to take from all of our experiences in life, right? So around this traumatic experience, what's a positive belief that you want to have about yourself? Let's install that. You know, maybe it's like, um, you know, I did the best I could, or I am safe now, things like that. Um, And then what's cool, I think about EMDR is that we also pay attention to the body because, you know, I remember kind of being blown away when I learned that emotions actually occur in the body first. Then maybe we have an emotion and then maybe we have a thought about that emotion. It's not the other way around. So um, I'll ask like, okay, when you think of this memory and this positive statement, what do you notice in your body? 
when we do all these steps, we, we, you know, do, like I said, visually eye movements, I work with people online. And so I have a program where um, a ball goes back and forth and, and people, you know, think about the issue, watch the ball go back and forth. The brain, they think that it's similar to when we're in REM sleep and our eyes are moving back and forth. Um, it might be, nobody knows how it works, but we've got some theories. It might be that um, the brain is sort of processing memories like, okay, what did I have for lunch today? I could probably put that in long-term storage, right? But, but when trauma happens, um, and it can be big trauma, little trauma, when trauma happens, it interrupts that process. So that it's almost like the trauma is just like bouncing around, like not really knowing where to go and it doesn't get filed away and it's kind of gone rogue or whatever. Like, um, And so we just try to replicate how the brain naturally, um, naturally heals itself. Um, one more thing I'll say about that is that it's kind of like the kind of like how the body heals itself. Like, you know, if you, if you break a bone, you want to set it back into place where you want it. And then you just let the body, you know, you put a cast on it. You don't touch it. You let the body do the work. It's the same with the brain. We set the, the conditions for the brain to heal and the brain wants to heal. And most times if the conditions are right, it will. And it's super fun and exciting. And I love it. <laughs> That was such a great explanation of EMDR. I've never heard it explained like mm -hmm. that to, you know, reset it and then just let the body do what it does. Just let it go. Let yep. it go. And yep. so, you know, you talked about the eyes moving back and forth. I know that yeah. it kind of mimics when we're walking, how we're kind of scanning yes. back and forth. So, it, and so this is kind of more of a stationary thing, right? Because you're in an office and you're following this ball back and forth. So mm -hmm. I, I would assume that, you know, I find that when I walk without my headphones on, that my my mind is able to work through things that come up mm -hmm. for me, that if I was just sitting like on the couch, watching TV or like laying in bed, mm -hmm. just kind of in a more static state, um, I, I'd be stuck there emotionally and and even thought wise, I'd just be kind of obsessing over this one thing can you talk to us about mm -hmm. that in that link uh, why EM, you know the, the emdr and it's yeah. linked to the eyes going back and forth yeah like i said like any sort of like we call the bilateral stimulation so the back and forth you know movement um can really help process things i remember in my emdr training one of the trainers talking about when they would do they were doing uh, early studies on um on vets, on military vets. And they, they kind of had a hard time because even the vets walking, like from the, the, the van to the, to the office, like their back and forth walking sort of changed their, like it helped them. And they, they, they had trouble with the study because they're like, no, 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 we got to keep it. <laughs> we got to keep it. Um, uh, I don't know. Clean is a weird word, but, but anyway, it affected the study results, just them walking. Um, it does make a difference. And I think that al along with all the other things that exercise does for us, right. Too. Um, like I was reading the other day that strenuous exercise actually kind of puts us out of our prefrontal cortex. So, uh, you know, our worrying mind, frankly, um, the, the logical part of us that is really helpful a lot of times and it's really not helpful other times. And so, you know, doing that strenuous exercise can get you more into your body where you, I don't know. It's just, again, there's a lot that we, there's a lot that we don't know. There's a lot that I don't know um, uh, about the brain. Um, and we just kind of try and, and, and do what works. I, I did want to say a quick note about, we were talking about the younger parts. And so sometimes when I am doing EMDR with people, sometimes they will get stuck or, you know, what I perceive as, oh, I think they might be stuck right now. And sometimes a reason is because a younger part, like let's say it is that nine-year-old part, uh, a younger part wants to stop the process because it wants to protect us. So for example, um, uh, a good example, I think of this happening sometimes is when we have that feeling of like, oh, that's no big deal. That's not important, right? We would call that minimizing in my business. But, you know, um, sometimes a younger part of us will deny that we have any pain because of fear that, that it feels too painful to reveal it. Um, and so I'll actually work with that part. We, we have, <laughs> it takes 
uh, because I work with artists, it's kind of nice that generally speaking, they kind of have open minds and and um, are willing to sort of try whatever whatever we we need to try out. Um, because it's kind of hard to explain how we have these these younger parts of us. But when when we when we do that, we'll actually I'll say like, what does that younger part feel? What does it need? What do you, the adult, what does your adult part want to say? to that younger part that might be helpful. And in that way, it's like we can establish a relationship with these younger parts of ourselves. We can let them know that there is an adult in charge now because they don't know that. Like I said, there's no concept of time. So they don't know that you've even grown up. Um, there's an adult in charge now who has all of our parts' best interests in mind um, and it's gonna be okay. So that's that's a pretty exciting aspect of the work too. Yeah, in therapy, I remember I had a therapist who had me write with my non-dominant hand. Mm -hmm. And I guess that was a way of bilateral processing or stimulation. Uh, I mean, one is you have to focus so intently because mm -hmm. you're you're using your non-dominant hand. And two, she said the non-dominant side is like our nine, the nine-year-old version of oh. ourself. And it's interesting to, you know, journal you know, freestyle journal with your dominant hand, you know, for maybe a few minutes and then switch over to your non-dominant. And the voice yeah. is, is not only is your handwriting like that of a nine-year-old, but the voice and, and the thoughts and the fears and the worries, uh, you know, all of a sudden I want to PB and J and, you know, yeah. kind of thing. So that, yeah, that bilateral thing is interesting. I think that's why yoga uh, people mm -hmm. cry so much because you, you're constantly working one side of the body and then working mm -hmm. on the next. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that um, I I would bet that the dominant dominant hand, non dominant hand. I bet that that's just like literally different parts of the brain comes from different parts of the brain. You know, it's it's fascinating. Yeah. And so you work with creatives. Why spe mm -hmm. so specific? Why 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 the niche? I know you have that creative writing yeah. background, but yeah. But, uh, what what's their what what are their how are their challenges different than uh, a, a, a another population? Well, for one thing, I love them. I, I I am a creative person, and I love creative people. I also sing and uh, play play music and play piano, and I used to play saxophone, and drums in school, and like like uh, it's such an important part of my life. And I like. For me, I would want to go to, to understood what it's like to be creative. And it's interesting, you know, part of the reason that I was drawn to talking with you on your podcast in particular is that for me, and I think for a lot of people, sometimes, oftentimes, art and creativity can feel like a life or death prospect. Um, for me, it is what makes life meaningful, period um as well as you know connections with people i care about and things like that aside from that you know art and creativity like that's what makes i don't even know how to express it you know and so it's that kind of <laughs> je ne sais quoi thing that i think i share with a lot of other creative people that um is really helpful in in therapy because like i get it if somebody tells me you know, how important writing and or drawing or music or art or whatever it is, it, how important that is to them. I totally get it. hundred percent. I'm completely on board, you know, also like from my perspective, I tell this story that, you know, one time I was explaining to my therapist, who is not a creative person, I, which is fine. This is, you know, <laughs> not all of us are no big deal. And yet it, it, it felt a little frustrating because I was trying to explain to her this experience of sitting down at my friend's digital piano and, and pianos like, to me, playing the piano is such an emotional experience. It's like the one thing in life I can count on to help me calm down, to help my parasympath parasympathetic nervous system get online. And um, I was explaining sitting at this digital piano and it felt like a real piano and just the sensations and what that meant to me. And it's like she was listening, of course, because she's a therapist and she she kind of got it, but she didn't really get it, you know? And I was like, wouldn't it be cool to, to have a therapist who gets it in that way? So I don't know if that explains it. I haven't ever really found a wonderful way to explain it other than I just kind of feel like my brain works that way. 
And I love talking with people whose brains work that way too. And I think it's just, you know, in a very practical way, it saves a lot of time. Um, and I think it's nice to have that kind of empathy with my clients. And um, yeah, I just really love, love working with them. You know, I, as I was thinking about the EMDR and, and looking left to right and, and helping it mm -hmm. uh, uh, move through the body, I, it, it kind of seems to me like it's a way of, you think about the ebb and flow of a river, right? And mm -hmm. so it's how it cleanses itself. Uh, you know, it brings yeah. water in, it, it brings it out. And so looking side to side, we're, we're kind of ebbing and flowing somehow and physiologically um, mm -hmm. as opposed to like a swamp. And, you know, that's the power of walking or exercising outside yeah. is that your body is moving side to side your eyes moving side yep. to side we're in your house when you're sitting on a couch everything is stagnant everything is unilateral mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. it, you just become this swamp over time and i think that's the damage of, of sitting it's not just the physical and sciatica which mm -hmm. i have but the oh, psychological and um and the emotional aspects of moving things around mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, it occurs to me too that, and I, you know, think about this sometimes EMDR, like it's rhythmic too. It totally makes sense to, to do this with creative people. And it's like back and forth and back and forth. And sometimes I do feel like a conductor, you know, because it's like we have the, the um, technical parts of doing EMDR. And then, like I said, you know, when people get stuck, it's like, that's when the art comes in, right? It's like, okay, how do I help this person? How can I be, how can I creatively figure out from what I know about them already? How can we creatively move through this and, and help them, you know, come to the other side? You know, sometimes, for example, <laughs> this maybe sounds so funny, but sometimes it really helps to say like, okay, again, with these parts, like how old were you when that trauma happened? The person might say, oh, I was seven or eight. And then I say, okay, how old are you now? Like, oh, I'm like 32 years old. I'm like, okay, great. And then we do the eye movements. And then sometimes, you know, most of the time they get unstuck. It's it's fascinating. Um, but anyway, I feel like I'm <laughs> kind of going on and on about it, but uh, it's, uh, it's good stuff. No, no, this, you know, you have a passion for this and that's what's exciting yeah. because so many people, you know, like, EMDR, I, I think, you know, there's some people who started practicing in like 2008, but it's still relatively new to, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, our, the, the culture. And, and so it, when people hear, hear enough, like everybody's talking about psychedelics now and psilocybin and right. mushrooms and, mm -hmm. you know, et cetera, et cetera, uh, mm -hmm. then more people start to incorporate it and, and realize the usefulness. Uh, if they can't get to EMDR, trained therapist at least walking i guess walking is the poor man's emdr uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but you know that's and so you talked about uh the piano because i find that when yeah. i play the guitar it's so soothing and i never thought about mm -hmm. it as a form of uh you know emdr because you know it does require that bilateral movement as does mm -hmm uh you know learning how to play the, the piano are there other forms you talked about tapping you talked about music we talked about writing mm -hmm. are there other ways of stimulating uh the bilateral sensations that you incorporate sure um and i feel you know compelled to say of course that the actual emdr you know you should definitely find a a, a trained and, and licensed person to do that with just because it can you know, at the end of sessions, I make sure that people are put back together, so to speak, you know, it's like I'm trained and, you know, it was, we opened up a lot and uh, especially if you're talking about trauma. And so I kind of make sure that, that, you know, people are okay. And I'm also available, you know, for my clients if they need help between sessions too. And I think that's important. So as far as like other, you know, like I said, um, sometimes with people we've used tones uh, like so put, we put on headphones and you know sounds back and forth i think that any sort of like right when you're uh listening to music especially in headphones and to stereo music you know any sort of like you know left and right things going on can be really can be really helpful um also there's a um, I can send you a, a link on this if you want to post it too there's a there's a thing called a butterfly hug um 
that has to do with tapping back and forth right underneath your collarbones. And that kind of helps uh, call oh, folks yeah, down to if they want to. Sure. Yeah, yeah. If they want to do that on their own. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I love that. I love that kind of stuff. Um, the, mm-hmm. the back and forth, side to side. I, I remember I was in distress in Vegas, just going through mm-hmm. some, I don't know what I was going through, but I put my my right hand in a, a bucket mm-hmm. of ice and mm-hmm. immediately started to calm down. And the, But then in my, my mm-hmm. left hand, I had uh, hot tea. And so right. I, I needed, I just needed those extreme temps at the same time. And mm-hmm. it, I, I can't explain why it was soothing, but it, it's all taps. And I'm so fascinated by this. And I think this is why swimming is such a great form of yep. exercise because it taps into that bilateral, um, yep. you know, and, and There's also walking yeah. with your partner yeah, too. It, it mm. it's, it's more soothing to, if you're going to have that conversation, if you're like, we need to talk mm-hmm. to do it walking and not on a couch or facing each other, like right. you're at a disposition or deposition disposition yeah deposition yeah 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 right <laughs> right interrogation yeah yeah i think there's something about our brains that like yeah, our brains like to be balanced you know and i think that that's a really nice way to to balance them out and yeah i listened to your to your podcast about about that in in vegas when you know you had the hot and the cold and i think anything anytime a person is feeling overwhelmed whether you know sort of anxious or depressed or whatever, it does help to really get into the body. And that's a great way of, of doing it because getting into the body, like you said, by, you know, those extreme temperatures, for example, it can be smells, it can be um, even like soft fabric things or whatever textures. Um, it really helps a person stay in the present moment um, or be in the present moment. And, you know, there's that phrase, I never know quite how I feel about it. And I can't remember exactly who said it, but like, in the present, in the present moment, we are all okay. Um, I think that can be true and not true, but generally speaking, it does feel a little better to, I think, to be in the present rather than to be either ruminating about the past or fearing about the future, right? And being in the body again brings you right into that present moment. So that's so cool that that you did that and that it was helpful. Yeah, oh yeah, I love that you brought up smells because you know, especially mm-hmm. with the. With uh, the quarantine, a lot of people losing their sense of smell, and uh, oh, yeah. and I think that people don't realize how much olfactory senses play into our mental health. You know, um, yep. you know, being able to smell. I know, like if I have one nostril clogged up, I just kind of feel uh, a little um, off kilter, off center, um, than when I'm able to breathe off out of both nostrils. Um, yeah. It changes how food tastes. It even, I mean, even sex is different, you know, without a sense of smell. I can't imagine. Uh, it's interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of things. And not to mention memory, you know. I mean, it, it's, it would, it's an interesting thought to think about how, how scent, you know, um, triggers our memory so much. And that if you didn't have that, like, maybe your memories wouldn't be as strong. I don't know. It's so interesting. Yeah, I started doing... Uh, alternate nostril breathing. Uh-huh. Um, Dr. Uh, Andrew Huberman talked about that. And I didn't realize that that was a way of like kind of stimulating like the bilateral senses also. I, do you, yep. Are you familiar with the alternate nostril breathing? I am. What is that? Nodi Shodan or something like that? <laughs> Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Um, I forget his name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, that's the Sanskrit word for it, I think. But like, um, yeah, I I don't like it. It makes me really anxious. <laughs> it's you know there are different things that are helpful for different people in that one i'm just like no no i can't do it oh that's so true and i think that's an important thing to highlight is because i think a lot of people like they they google something they try and they go it doesn't work and then they give up on everything they they never seek help again and it's really about finding the modality that works for you i had a friend who was always getting in trouble in school and um and then his parents sent him away to like this camp where it, it, like mm-hmm. it was more like an outdoor school program and he excelled he became leader became a, a doctor but it, it's just that environment didn't work for him being in a school sitting behind a desk right. um so it's about finding a modality that where you can thrive yeah and i think that's important to mention too in the context of finding a therapist or a therapy that works for you right um like you know we like to tell people like 
interview therapists like like most of us have, um, you know, free consultations um, where you can actually talk with the person and see if there's a good vibe, see what their approach is like. Um, and yeah, not all therapists are the same. I can tell you that hundred um, percent. And some of us are just as like, not all people are the same. We have different skills. We have different interests. So um, yeah, I think that's, it's important to, to, to think about as far as like getting therapy or any other type of life coaching or whatever, you know, whatever it is that you, that you want to do uh, to try to improve yourself or, or, or heal or whatever. Um, not, yeah, not all, not all the same. It, it sounds like, because you talked about when people come in to see you and the importance of really going to see a therapist is that, you know, we're going to uh, kind of peel back some layers and uh, you know, you're going to, bring up some experiences for you, but we're also going to put you back together again. We're going to reset you. So I imagine it requires also uh, a lot of visualization. Can you talk to us about that and how, how that's incorporated? Oh, I'm curious, actually, what, tell me more about what you mean uh, with the visualization. Well, you know, I, I imagine if we're at, you know, if you're saying to someone, you know, what was your experience? like? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Like when you were nine years old mm-hmm. or, or what age did that trauma happen that they kind of have to, you know, think about that age. Right. And I'm assuming that you're not going, all right, what age did that happen? Okay. Look left, look right, look left, look right. Exactly. And then we're exactly. done. So what, when you're talking them through it, what mm-hmm. does that sound like? That's great. And actually I just got, I, so this is something uh, to consider too, when you're looking for a therapist and stuff like, like, I still use the EMDR manual, you know, every time, even though I've done this like a bunch now for years, I still go by the manual um, because I think it's important. I think it's important for a person to see, to experience what the studies have been done on. So having said that, I just pulled out my, my manual and I'll, I'll, I'll walk you through it a little bit. So we do, you know, I'll say like, okay, what do we want to, you know, what's the memory that we want to talk about? And then I will ask, like you said, what picture represents the worst part of the experience as you think of it now and so they will tell me like okay it was this or that or the other thing and you're right that visualization that picture sometimes people don't visualize you know because everybody's brain's different and so i'll just say you know as you think of the experience what's the worst part of it and then after that i'll ask okay what words go best with that picture that express your negative belief about yourself as you think of it now And so they're thinking about the past and they're also thinking about the present at the same time. We've got one foot in the past, one foot in the present. Um, And that's important uh, with EMDR. And so they'll say, "Mm, you know, I feel like um, maybe I'm not smart. Maybe that's the negative cognition that comes up. And then I'll say, when you bring up that picture, what would you prefer to believe about yourself instead? I'd like, you know, maybe I'd like to believe I am intelligent. And then I, I really like this part of, of EMDR, which is different sort of from other talk therapies. And that's that we can actually, like we actually, it's a subjective measure, but we actually measure where people are at with all these things, with numbers. So I'll say, okay, when you think of that picture, how true do those words, I'm intelligent, feel to you now on a scale of one to seven, where one feels completely false, seven feels completely true. Maybe they'll say like three or four. And we'll say, okay, when you bring up that picture and those negative words, I'm not smart, what emotions do you feel now, right? Maybe they feel sad or frustrated. Okay, on a scale of zero to 10, where zero is no disturbance or neutral, 10 is the highest disturbance you can imagine. How disturbing does a memory feel to you now? Again, one foot in the past, one foot in the present. They might say like, "Mm, it's like a six or seven. And then the last question before we start the eye movements, I'll say, where do you feel it in your body? A lot of times it's in people's chest, shoulders, throat. I, I, I tend to find that people have their favorites, right? Like for me, it's like I hold all my stuff in my shoulders. You know, that's that's usually where I, where I experience it. And then we do some eye movements and then I'll just ask them what they're noticing. And I don't really interfere. I don't talk. We don't have conversations. I just let, again, I just let their brain process through this. If they get stuck, I'll help them out. Um, other than that, like, you know, I'm just really facilitating holding space, if you will, for this process to happen. So yeah, that's kind of what it looks like. And, and so what's the, the, the re-entry they, you know, they're going mm-hmm. through that they're sitting there and, you know, what's your last question being, um, you know, where do you feel it in your body? And then you start the, the, I, the EMDR, uh, what is there a script? 
script after after that emdr we're yeah. like all right time's up see you <laughs> it's okay bye <laughs> uh yeah there is I'm, I'm literally looking it up it says um this is a cool part too it says the processing we've done may continue after the session that's a cool thing about emdr is that this your brain will keep working on this stuff without you even realizing what's going on you may or may not notice new insights thoughts memories or dreams if so you can write them down and then before we do any sort of you know any sort of eye movements, processing, whatever, there's two things that happen. One, I make sure that the, that the client is a good candidate for, for, for EMDR. And that, that usually means like they're able to hold that past and present at the same time perspective. If the person dissociates, meaning kind of like they leave their body too much when talking about trauma, it's, it's kind of hard. It's not recommended to do EMDR. Um, so I screen for that first. And also we do what's called resourcing, which is uh, like, creating a safe place in your mind or creating a container in your mind where you can put things away so that you can, can, can just like do your regular life stuff without thinking about these things that we bring up in, in therapy. So it says use your safe place to manage any disturbance that comes up. Remember to use a relaxation technique daily. We can work on this material next time. If necessary, you can call me. And I, sometimes I also do <laughs> these things too. Like I'll say like, okay, now look around your space and tell me three things that are green, you know? And so people have to literally say like, okay, that plant over there and that um, picture and this mug. Um, and it's so amazing how even something so simple like that, and I would recommend this to people just in life too, if you find yourself again, you know, sort of feeling overwhelmed again, to kind of get in the body, like get in the present moment, get in the space around you and notice things. Um, art is a lot about noticing. And so is, you know, um, just kind of feeling, feeling okay. Um, it just kind of notice where you are, feel where you are and be grounded. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Does that help answer your question? Absolutely. I really love that, that, that last you know, statement that you said, look around and notice three things that are green. Cause that's exactly what I just did. Nice. And I was like, wow, I felt so present. Um, yeah. So, uh, it, it's, it's powerful stuff because, you know, we don't realize, you know, that book, you know, body keeps the score. Uh, yes. A lot of what we're doing, you know, is reaching externally for, for the pills or the meds, uh, or the drugs to kind of, mm -hmm heal and soothe us but our, our body is so equipped like you mentioned earlier to really heal itself if we can just set things back into place and then let it do what it do yeah yep it's it, 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 it's one of those things you know that is kind of simple but not easy you know it, it it's um it, it, I don't want to sound too hyperbolic or anything. And I will say that sometimes, I mean, I feel like I see miracles happen every day. You know, it's like somebody will come in and saying they got a distress level of like eight out of 10 or whatever. We do some, some reprocessing for a little while and maybe it's down to like a one or a two or sometimes zero. It's, it's wild the way the brain works. And I don't want to say too, that like, you know, I don't want to imply that like, Oh, EMDR is the only thing that's helpful. I mean, I love that you were talking about like, you know, yeah, walking can, can, can be similar, you know, give similar experiences. Um, there's so many things we can do uh, that are helpful and overall kind of like we're talking about, you know, this whole time here today, it's like, having having faith in our own ability to heal our own body to for our brain to heal itself and and it really does sometimes i think kind of take that leap of faith that like no maybe we don't have to look to an outside you know like you said like you know medication can be really helpful and also i think what we have inside us can be really helpful too if we only allow it to 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 do that you know allow it to exist and really pay attention yeah i love it and last two questions one is mm -hmm. where can everybody find you sure um i'm online at rachelmorecounseling.com um i'm on like facebook instagram all those things too i love that there. and is is there a book that you love it, it doesn't have to be in a self-help this it could be a fiction yeah. book non-fiction is there a book that you've reread or shared or been given or, you know, that's delighted you or. That's such a good question. Um, 
gosh, well, two things pop in. One's the artist's way, but we already talked about that. Um, <laughs> and somebody, somebody asked this question the other day, and I, I remember in high school reading Siddhartha. Are you familiar with that book by Herman Hess? I am familiar with it, and I feel like I've read it. Oh, that's going to eat me up because I don't know <laughs> if I read it. But what, what about that book uh, resonated for you? Well, I think that, like, uh, this is sort of a whole nother um, can of worms. But um, <laughs> I grew up, like I said, kind of early, like, I grew up in Idaho, and it's very um, monolithic in its culture in a lot of ways. Lots of white people, lots of Mormon people, lots of um, uh, fundamentalist people. There's nothing wrong with that per se. It's just this is how it was. And, and and in high school, when I picked up Siddhartha and I read about Buddha, because that's what the book is about, um, it's a pretty much about, you know, Buddha's journey. Um, and I experienced this very, very, very different way of seeing the world, of experiencing things, of, um, you know, it was an introduction to me. I know um I think Herman has his German or British or something, but, but anyway, it was an introduction to me to sort of a more Eastern style of thought. And for me at that time, it was so important. Um, and I still, it was cool to read something that resonated with me in a way that nothing ever had before. I will say it that way. Say it that way. I love it. And then last question, I always imagine there's one person listening in who may be on the precipice of wanting to end their life mm -hmm. before you kill yourself. What would you say to them, Rachel? Mm, gosh. Um, talk to me. I, you know, it's interesting. Um, yeah, you know, I'd never really thought of it this way, but even though, so right now my, my practice is full, like I, I don't have any room to see new clients right now. And I still, um, I'm feeling emotional. Um, I still offer my schedule on my website. Like if you want to talk to me for 15 minutes, um, because I want to help you, I'm going to help you, um, whoever you are, you know, if you want to talk to me, I want to help you find somebody who can help. Uh, I want to help you get resources. Um, I feel like that is important. And a lot of times, unfortunately, like for example, people will, people will try to find a therapist and they don't, they don't, um, the therapists don't call back. This happens a lot. Uh, you may have heard about this, uh, Leo, but like, I think what happens is that therapists get overwhelmed, especially ones who take insurance. I think they get a lot, a lot, a lot of inquiries. So, um, yeah, uh, I'm available <laughs> at those times on my website. So I think that's what I would say. It's like, hey, give me a call. I love that. I love that. Thank you, Rachel Moore, for joining us. Thank you so much, listeners, for tuning in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help. Call the 1-800-SUICIDE or 1-800-273-TALK or the million of other numbers and resources listed in all of the show notes go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one -on -one coaching with yours truly let's get to tomorrow together thank you so much rachel thank you it was a real pleasure